welcome to the Climb Your Mountain podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Maurer, a life coach, certified ultra running coach, and high altitude mountaineer. Each week, I show you how to train, eat, think, and live like an athlete so you can reach that summit, hike that hike, or finish that trail race. My passion is to empower people of all ages and sizes to get outside and live lives of adventure. Remember, endurance training will never be easier than today. So let's dive into the show. Hey friends, how you doing? It's me coming to you a little bit late this Wednesday. And the reason is I had a beautiful episode recorded for you. I recorded it, I posted it, and then I realized that whenever my wireless earbuds are near the microphone and they're turned on, the microphone completely freaks out and it makes the sound that it produces that got recorded was nothing but static. So here we are on take two of this episode. I also had to change some of my audio settings to, um, I don't know if the the earbuds like mess them up somehow, that seems impossible, but everything looks completely different as I'm watching it record. It's kind of freaking me out. I hope it doesn't sound like I'm screaming at you through the microphone as you're listening, but yeah, I'm going to have faith that it's all going to work out in (laughs) post-production and that this is going to sound great. So let's get to it. We are talking today about, what are we talking about? Did you see what I just did? I'm like, what are we talking about? We're going to talk about why you need a life outside your sport. So this may sound like kind of a downer topic because if you're like me, you love getting obsessed with things. I was obsessed with mountaineering for years. Now I'm obsessed with ultra running. I talk about it all the time. I post about it all the time on my Instagram. I think it's fun to get a little obsessed with something. I kind of like people who are also a little obsessed with something. It gives them a certain flavor, you know? But I also want to warn you and want to make sure that this doesn't, this, this sport, this activity doesn't become your whole life in identity. And I think there's a couple good reasons to watch out for that. So number one, it is super normal to take long periods out of your thing, training, racing, hiking, running, climbing, adventuring. And the reason is that if this is a lifestyle, if you truly plan to make it lifelong, you might wish that you could be out every weekend from now till forever doing your thing. But I'm here to tell you, it is inevitable that there will be periods of life where you can't. I mean, it would be weird if it were otherwise, right? There's going to be times when you're injured, when you have an illness, when you're pregnant, when you're really busy with work or family commitments. I recently had this come up. I had long COVID, and it was, as long COVID goes, kind of a mild case. I say had in the past tense. I actually still have it, still have symptoms. And in my case, I feel very lucky that I was only out for a couple of months. It's improving somewhat fast. I'm I really have like pretty much very few limitations at this point. But especially those time that time when I was very deep in it, when I really couldn't do much but sit on the couch and feel sick and feel tired and feel brain fogged, that was such a loss of identity. It was such a loss also of social support because most of my social life was 
built around doing things with people, taking trips, going skiing, going hiking, going running on the weekends. So it it was a very difficult time to work through. And by the way, if you are working through something like this right now, I just want to say I am a really good coach for this. I have been in the shit recently and have had to do a lot of work on my own mind and I've actually coached several people with this particular thing going on with long COVID or something kind of similar. So yeah, reach out to me if you're like, oh my gosh, I need help with this, Sarah. (laughs) So here for you. So yeah, you want to make you want to you want to anticipate that it's co- you're at least several times in your life you're going to be taking long periods out of your sport. That's just normal. That's just how life goes. Another thing to keep in mind is eventually we're all going to age out of our sport. And this could happen at the age of 20. I have a friend that used to love to run when we were in college together. And then she was diagnosed with a connective tissue disorder. Doctors like, you can't run anymore. And she was like, but that's all I do. And being young, being fun, being just a really cool girl, she was able to shift to a different sport. She actually became a really cool mountain biker, which I think is awesome. But yeah, it could also happen. I like like I'm 47. So I am kind of facing this for some of the the harder things. I'm like will I be able to do how much longer will I be able to run ultras? How much longer will I be able to you know, do high altitude mountaineering type trips. Should I, I kind of haven't done a whole lot of high altitude in the past couple years. And I'm like, should I get back to that and get busy? Cause there's, there's a ticking clock, right? Um, For those of you who are kind of maybe feeling this, you're maybe at the age where you're starting to question how much time is left. A really good book. I'm recommending this to all my friends. It's called Savage Summit author is Jennifer Jordan. I'll put a link in the show notes. But it actually profiles the first five women to climb K2, which honestly, they're all like really sad stories. Three of them climbed K2, but then died on the way down. Two of them died um, on other mountaineering trips in the next couple of years. So one of my favorite women, the one that I related to the most that they profiled, her name is Wanda Rutkiewicz. Um, if you're Polish or speak Polish and are listening, you probably just cringed. <laughs> her name is so hard for me to pronounce, but I think that's pretty close. But Vanda, she was the first female mountaineer to climb K2. She did get down alive. Um, she was in, actually in her 40s when she did it, which is pretty cool. Um, but the thing I really loved about Wanda is that, yeah, or I, you know, I, I, I loved it because I related to it, but I also felt sad that she went through it, was that she had a hard time having a life, a social circle, a self-concept out of high, outside of high-altitude mountaineering. She didn't really know how to be when she wasn't mountaineering. So really what this led to is she was getting older as she had been mountaineering her whole life. So by the time she's in her late 40s, her body's kind of beat up, starting to break down a bit. And really how she responded instead of, you know, maybe pivoting becoming like a mountaineering instructor or, you know, writing a book or, 
Instead of doing something kind of adjacent, she actually started to double down and take even more risks. And this this looked like ridiculous things, like climbing mountains with severe injuries. She climbed Annapurna in her late 40s, and she was literally picking her injured leg. She had a very badly injured leg. It was very painful. She was literally picking her leg up with her hands and placing it because she couldn't move it on her own. That's how she climbed Annapurna. I don't fucking know how, but that's 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 kind of what this brought her to. She also, as she noticed herself kind of slowing down, really doubled down by deciding to climb all the remaining 8,000 meter peaks that she hadn't climbed yet. And at the time, this would have made her the first woman to do that. And yeah, it just led to her like pushing herself in ridiculous ways, not taking breaks between peaks. She did climb some, but then she actually died on one of them, Kachinjunga, which I just slaughtered that name. But yeah, it was just such an incredibly like sad story to like see. And it was kind of a cautionary tale just to see, you know, why it's so important to make sure as we're enjoying our sport, being obsessed with it, we're also building a life outside the sport. It's really good to think about what comes next, right? It's also important, another reason I, I'm very passionate about this and doing a whole podcast episode on it, is I think it's really important to think about the communities around our sport that we are part of. I am someone that really loves community. My joke is that, you know, it probably isn't a stretch for me to join some sort of cult. I love people, I love togetherness. However, there are costs to making the entire community, your running community, your mountaineering community, your entire social life. Because what if something happened where you're in that community where you wanted to leave? And I'm really passionate about this because this actually happened to me. And I'm not going to name the community, but people who know me well probably know what it is. I was really deeply involved in this community for five or six years. And what started happening as I got closer to the heart of it is and started taking on like more leadership roles is I saw and experienced things that I really on a deep level didn't agree with. I saw people in leadership positions putting down women, writing them off, outright bashing gay and trans people, and I experienced a lot of shitty treatment of me as a woman sitting on committees, teaching in schools that were mostly run by I, I, I feel bad saying it because there's lots of wonderful people in this category, but they were mostly run by older white men that had a certain mindset. So part of me got to the point where I really wanted to leave that community, but part of me also wanted to stay because honestly, like 90% of my friends were there. I spent all my weekends and free time with those people. And I eventually realized that, Sarah, it's gonna stu- it's gonna suck to go. It's also at this point gonna suck to stay. You've just seen too much. So long story short, it's kind of been a years long process to extricate myself from that life and create new hobbies and new connections. And just to show you how hard it is to get out, like I keep thinking I'm pretty much out. And then yesterday, I literally paid dues for one more year to this organization yesterday (laughs) because 
I'm still involved in a couple of things. I'm not completely out. I'm not completely ready to let those go. But all that to say, (laughs) yesterday when I was plunking down that $80 on my credit card that I really could have used for something more fun, it really reminded me of the importance of having a life outside one's sport and sport community. So that, you know, if you need to leave, you have somewhere else to land. So I want you to avoid all my mistakes that I've just described. So I'm going to give you some tips to keep your life well balanced and focused on what really matters while still being a little bit obsessed with your sport, because that's fun, right? So my number one tip, I want you to have friends, not just activity partners. And I want you to make friends of your activity partners. They get to be both. And I am 100% guilty of not following this one. And an example that comes to my mind, a couple years ago, one of the guys I love to go mountaineering with, we've been around the world, we've been to Mexico, we've been to Bolivia. He actually had a really bad cycling accident and had a bad break in his leg that was very difficult to heal. So suddenly Tobin is not on trips with us. He's not coming out. I'm not seeing him every weekend. And kind of there's a part of me, like the part that actually has fucking EQ that was like, you know, I should really text Tobin and see how he's doing. I really should call Tobin and just, I should invite him out for a beer. I should, you know, go to his house and see what's up, you know. But I had a really hard time actually following through on that. And to this day, I feel pretty guilty about it. Not because he's ever said anything to me, but because that's very different from the kind of person I want to be and that I'm trying to be. Another way this can look when you have activity partners, but not friends, is is the person that treats all their friends like they're fungible and This can look like, so I I had a friend that was like this, and we're actually not close anymore, and I should have seen it coming. This was one of the first signs that maybe this was not going to be like a long-lasting friendship. They would do this thing where we would plan to do something together, and I'd be like, oh, that's going to be really fun, and I would just kind of take, you know, write that off, put it, like, block that time off in my schedule. And it was there as I was looking forward to seeing them. Meanwhile, they get invited to something they want to go to more. And I think there's like exceptions where this makes sense. But yeah, it became like every weekend. They were kind of looking for the best offer and we would be supposed to hang out on Saturday and on like Thursday or Friday, I would be like, oh, well, so-and-so is actually going here. So I'm going to go with them. (laughs) Like basically, fuck you, right? (laughs) So yeah, like, 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 and I'm like, did it ever occur to you to go on a trip with me? Not because I'm like, I planned the most fun trip or we planned the most fun trip, but because we're friends and we want to spend time together, (laughs) but apparently not. Anyway, so I don't want this to turn into a big old rant. I'm still a little bitter. Can you tell? But I do want to say this. It will greatly enrich your life, and it also will provide a hedge against injury, illness, life difficulties. If you really get to know and take into your heart and treat your activity partners as people, as friends, as more than just someone who's kind of a transactional means to an end for you to go climb this mountain or go on this trail run. 
And one way to do this, which I think we have all gotten kind of bad at since COVID, is to create true intimacy. How do you do that? It really is all about letting your friends see all of you, share your thoughts and feelings and passions with your friends, tell them your problems instead of just putting on a brave face, support them when they're going through the shit, and accept their support when you're going through the shit. That's what friends that are more than activity partners do. Another important one I think is to spend time with them outside your sport. If you usually see them hiking or running, invite them over for dinner or to play a board game or to go to a festival, go to a concert. And know that depending on where you live and what the culture is like, you may have to lead a bit in this area. I know here in Colorado, the whole we look like best friends, but really we're just activity partners. Disease is endemic. And this is something I'm really working on in 2023. So I really want to know the people that I spend a lot of time with as people on a deeper level, please, please, please join me in being part of that change starting. This can be part of our fucking revolution, like I always talk about. Another thing that's really helpful that I want you to consider is to have friends and connections that have nothing to do with your sport. One of the number one things that helped me not go off the deep end when I started to realize my COVID was long COVID and that it was going to be around potentially for a while and potentially for years, potentially forever, like maybe I'm never going to be able to run or hike the way I did before again. One of the things that kept me from going off the deep end was thinking, well, I really could plug back into the fiction writing community, which was a community I had been really involved in, but you know, I had kind of fallen out of the past few years, but I knew that I really loved those people, that I could always go back, I knew how to get back, I knew where they were. So just having <laughs> had a community, even if it was one that I had kind of gotten a little bit away from that was outside my sport, was basically life-saving at that point. Another way to think of this, if you have family members or a spouse that completely don't get your sport, they think you're crazy because they're a little obsessed, they might be exactly who you need to spend some time with in order to maintain balance. They are going to really see other parts of you, nurture other parts of you. You're going to, when you're hanging out with them, be forced to talk about things other than ultra running, for example. Old friends can also be really good for this. You probably have friends from college, high school, or just maybe people who knew you before you became this hiking, running machine, and maybe they really miss hanging out with you. I will throw this out there. If you are single, I would never write off a potential romantic partner who has completely different interests. Like one of my most favorite relationships I've had in my in my. I'm like, oh my gosh, when was that? 30s, 40s? It was probably straddling those a little bit. But yeah, it was someone that really wasn't into the whole outdoor thing. And yeah, was really happy for me to go and do it. And then we had our shit that we did. We went to concerts. We went to breweries. We went to concerts at breweries. We loved music. It really was like so much fun to be with someone that <laughs> like honored that part of me, but didn't necessarily need to be a part of it. So yeah, people always ask me, they're like, where will you find this amazing outdoors guy? And I'm like, what if he's not outdoorsy? Like I am completely completely open to that, by the way. So 
Another thing I want you to think about as you're building a life outside your sport is to affirm people and yourself for non-sporting achievements. I think this is a culture change that would be really good for a lot of us in these very outdoorsy cultures to embrace. So an example, I have an acquaintance, someone I know, who is very athletic and gets a lot of affirmation from other people about their athletic achievements. And that really is their identity. Like, I'm this amazing hiker. I'm this amazing adventurer. I do so many things. So it is kind of what you notice about them right away. And so it's no surprise that people always talk about, you know, they're doing this, they're doing that, telling them, I admire you so much for this, for that. I see that and it worries me a little bit because here's my thought, it might benefit them to hear that they're kind, that they're smart, that they're a good friend, that they're a good parent, that they are good at their job, that their volunteer activities in the community really matter. Because, yeah, I, I really worry that they have kind of come to this place in their own head where all they are and all they're good at and all that people admire about them and see in them is their athleticism. And there's so much more to this person. This person is actually really cool. And so, yeah, I just really hope and that they know it. So, this, all this to say, I really want you to practice noticing and affirming the non-athletic parts of athletic people. This will make you better at doing it for yourself, by the way, which is where you really need it, where it really needs to happen. All right, last tip. This is my favorite one. <laughs> this is kind of a weird one, but bear with me. I want you to take a look at your rat park. Yes, she just said rat park. What is a rat park? What the French toast am I talking about? So rat park is a concept from addiction studies, from animal experiments about addiction. And what was happening? So there were a couple of rounds of these experiments. And in the first round, it involved rats that were alone in cages. They were offered the choice to drink water, to drink water laced with morphine, which would obviously create a dopamine hit in their brain, um, give them pleasure. And what happened, kind of astounded the scientists, not only did the rats show a preference for the morphine water, they actually became so addicted to it that all they would do was stand there and drink it to the point where they would die of exhaustion or starvation. I can't remember exactly. But yeah, they just became obsessed to the point of like not even wanting to live anymore so that they could have the morphine water. So scientists were like, yeah, like like this shit is really addictive. Like brains are really kind of fucked up. Like it, there's a lot of dark conclusions drawn from these experiments. How However, some genius, or not so genius, looked at this experiment and realized these rats are alone in stark wire cages. Like, no wonder, like, they are choosing artifact, like, an, like a source of pleasure 
no matter how damaging it is, because they have no pleasures. Their cage that they live in is just terrible. Their living conditions suck. There's no quality of life. So what the, in the second round of experiments, what happened is the scientists built a rat park. And the rat park was a big, huge cage, so big it probably didn't even feel like a cage to these little rats. And in this cage, they put a bunch of rats in there together. They could be they could socialize, they could play with rat toys, and there were lots of pleasurable things in the cage. They could snuggle in like soft beds and dig in sawdust, and they were with other rats, so they could, you know, groom each other and show affection to each other. They could have sex with each other, and they could just, in general, like really enjoy rat lives, like probably the best life a rat could have. And these rats also got to have access to water and morphine water. Once in a while, they give the morphine water a try. They're like, ooh, that was fun. But they didn't get addicted to it the way the rats had in the earlier studies. In fact, they most of the time just left it alone. They showed a strong preference just for the regular water. So what does all this mean for people? And I'm like one of those people that's like, we have to be a little bit careful about generalizing from animal studies to people. People are not rats. But I kind of love the metaphor underneath this whole story. And one thing I want you to ask yourself as you're building a life outside your sport is how is your rat park? Are you surrounded by genuinely genuine love and connection in your life? Whatever that looks like for you. Some people like they're like, I don't need too much connection. I got two friends and that is great. Some people love like a huge community around them. So Really, how satisfied are you with what you have now is the important thing to look at. Another thing, do you prioritize pleasure? Do you have access to pleasures? Do you allow yourself to experience pleasure? And if you look around and realize you're kind of metaphorically in a stark and terrible cage, I don't want you to beat yourself up. Often you didn't make that cage. A lot of times there's things like your upbringing, our institutions, systemic bias, social upheaval caused by COVID-19, norms around work and productivity and money and pay that probably all contributed to this less than ideal cage. How However, it's not too late to build yourself a better cage, to develop your own rat park. And that's actually my goal for 2023. I'm going to build myself a really awesome rat park. And I just invite you all to come with me on that journey. I'm going to be sharing on Instagram as we go along. So make sure you're following. And One other thing to keep in mind, and I think this is a hard one, you may look around and notice that your sport you're mountaineering, you're hiking, you're running, you may notice that that is actually your cage. This can be true for people with exercise addiction. It can be true for people who trade one addiction, maybe like an addiction to alcohol, to drugs, an eating disorder for endurance training, which by the way is super common. And again, know in that case that you didn't make the cage but that by building yourself a better cage, it will open up so much more freedom and possibility and greatly improve your quality of life. So that's the whole point of this episode about having a life outside your sport. Don't let the thing you love become your cage. So (laughs) friends, I'm going to stop it there. I will see you next Wednesday. Until then, 
go get it.